Morning, everybody. <clears throat> if we haven't met yet, I'm Stephen. I'm one of the elders here at Aletheia. I'm glad you guys are here this morning. I know it was a late night last night with all that excitement. Um, if you're an Auburn fan, you're probably happy. If you're a Florida fan, you're probably happy. If you're a Florida State fan, I, I'm sorry. I couldn't do anything about it. I couldn't do anything to help you. Um, I hope that you guys all had a great Thanksgiving holiday. Uh, spent time with your family, with your friends, uh, and enjoyed the blessings that God has given you. Gave thanks to him for those. Um, I have to apologize to you guys this morning. I have the beginning of a cold, and my throat is literally on fire right now. So if I erupt in a fit of coughing, please forgive me. Um, I'm going to have a big no-no of having like a drink on stage with me just in case that happens. Uh, and uh, we'll get through it. Um, for the past couple weeks, we've been going through a series called Advent Conspiracy. Um, we had the promo for you, the promo video for you there on the screens. And what we're conspiring together to do this holiday is to bring uh, the focus and clarity of Christmas back into it, into what Advent is. Why do we make such a big deal of Christmas? around Christmas time? Why do we expend so much effort and so much money and so much of ourselves in order to make this season special? Uh, as a church, we believe that it's to display the wonder and majesty of God's most precious and priceless gift to us. Uh, not only that, um, we want to bring that message into our homes, into our classrooms, our workplaces, our coffee shops, everywhere we go to share the awesome gift with our family members, coworkers, and everyone else that we come into contact with. Two weeks ago when we began this series, Pastor Kevin uh, challenged us to worship fully. He challenged us to focus this year on what the word Advent means, the coming of Jesus Christ. And that it should inspire us to worship him. And that act of worship should not stay within us, but it should cause us to move, it should cause us to act, it should cause us to do something with what we have learned. It should cause us to um, give of ourselves as we worship. Because true worship does not stay within the worship, but goes out into wherever the worshiper goes. Last week, Pastor Daniel challenged us to spend less except where we ought to spend more. As you saw in the video, uh, over a trillion dollars gets spent during the holiday season worldwide. And uh, Pastor Daniel pointed out that that's like about two-thirds of the national debt. It's an enormous sum of money. In this a season of excess and just living on the top, feasting and celebrating but Daniel challenged us instead to bless others with what we give, to give sacrificially of ourselves, not just skimming off the top of our budgets, but digging deep into um, our, our finances and, and actually blessing people with what we have. It should cost us. There should be things that we are not able to do because we're giving to the people for the cause of Christ. This morning, we're going to continue preaching through the Advent series with A Christmas Carol. And if your mind went to Dickens, you get bonus points, because that is an excellent story, 
And I wish I could preach on that, but that is not what we're doing. We're actually doing a song this morning. It is one of the oldest songs in existence that is still being sung today. It is ancient in its origins. This song is so old that when it was written, English as it is today was not even a language yet. It was written in Latin about four or 500 AD is when they started writing the poems that encompass this song. And uh, I'm going to play a short video so that you can hear this song and listen to it and see the words.
Who recognized that song? Everybody? Did anybody not recognize the song? It's very, very uncommon because it's been translated into like dozens of languages. This is one of the most, this is one of the oldest songs uh, that is still being sung. Uh, like I said, it's, it was, uh, they began writing it in about the 5th century A.D. It was part of worship services leading up to Christmas. They wrote seven short poems that would be recited in the church on the days leading up to Christmas. These are called the antiphons, which is a Greek word that I forgot to look up. <laughs> it happens. Um, <clears throat> So in the days leading up to Christmas, on uh, December 17th, they would read this, the, the beginning one, which is the spirit of wisdom. It's co- these all come out of uh, Old Testament prophecies. Spirit of wisdom comes out of Isaiah chapter 11, 2 and 3. And then they, on the 18th, they would read the Lord of light. That comes out of Isaiah 11, 4 and 5. On the 19th, they would read Root of Jesse, which comes out of Isaiah 11. Verse 1. On the 20th, they would read Key of David, which comes out of Isaiah 22, verse 22. On the 21st, they would read uh, the Day Spring, which comes out of Malachi 4, 2. And on the 22nd, they would read the Desire of Nations, which comes out of Haggai 2, 7. And then finally, on the 23rd, the day before Christmas Eve, they would read O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, which comes out of Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, which was read for us this morning. On the 24th, after all of these were read, they would all sing together the song of Mary, which is recorded in Luke 2. About 400 years later, an anonymous monk in a monastery compiled all of these short poems into one longer poem, and he added this refrain, Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel has come to thee, O Israel. So it started in 400, developed a little bit further, 400 years later in 800, and it stayed that way for about a thousand years. In 1845, um, an Anglican hymn writer named John Mason Neal found this in a manuscript, translated it, and put music to the Latin metrical verse. Uh, and wrote it in his hymnal. And from that point on, it's been translated into dozens of languages and sung worldwide. It's one of the most well-known Christmas carols of all time. But I don't want you guys to just come away knowing a lot about a Christmas carol. At Aletheia, we want to make people growing disciples of Christ. And so I want you, instead, to come away with a longing for Emmanuel a longing for the presence of God. The context of this song is, de- is designed to draw us back to the Old Testament. In the, ver- the passage that was read this morning out of Isaiah uh, chapter 7 um, is, is in a time 2,800 years ago during the reign of King Ahaz of Judah. The city of Jerusalem is about to be besieged. There's armies coming against them. And God sends the prophet Isaiah to go and tell the king, don't worry, I've got this. It'll be okay. Trust me. You will survive. And the 
when the kings come against them, he sends Isaiah again. And he tells Ahaz to ask for a sign that this would come to pass. And Ahaz responds with this super pious answer that says, no, I won't. I will not put the Lord your God to the test. Deuteronomy says you won't put the Lord your God to the test. I won't do it, which sounds really righteous. Jesus himself answered this when he was tempted to jump off of a a cliff and let the angels catch him. And he was tempted by Satan, and he responded saying, no, it is written that you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Well, there's a big difference between when, it was, when Jesus said it and when Ahaz said it. It's, Jesus was not specifically commanded by God to ask for a sign. Not only that, we know from other contexts of Scripture, from 2 Kings uh, 16 and from Chronicles 28, that Ahaz was not a very good dude. King Ahaz, uh, it says, did evil in the sight of the Lord, great evil in the sight of the Lord, according to the kings of Israel in the north and according to the kings of Canaan, which occupied the land before Israel came. He worshipped idols. He sacrificed his sons and daughters to those idols as burnt offerings. And he removed the the altars of God from the temple and set up idols in their place. So, this response here, while it sounds really good, it's Ahaz mocking God. And you see the prophet Isaiah pick up on that, and he says, is it too much for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Ahaz is mocking God, and as a friend of mine is very fond of saying, God will not be mocked. And in response to this, he gives Judah into the hand of his enemies. And as he promised, King Ahaz was not taken out of power. He was, he was uh, rescued, but they still suffered greatly. But God gives him a sign anyways. He gives him the sign in verse 14. He says, that um, the virgin shall conceive and she shall bear a son and his name will be called Emmanuel. Ahaz did not put his trust in God. Even though he was promised and given this great sign that he would be preserved and that the kingdom would go on, instead, he took treasure out of the temple And he went and gave it to the king of Assyria to pay him to come and fight his enemies for him. And the king of Assyria came, and he fought those enemies for him. And he destroyed destroyed Syria, and he destroyed uh, the northern kingdom of Israel, took them into exile. After this, throughout the next chapters in Isaiah he begins to expound upon the idea of Emmanuel and who the Emmanuel is and what the Emmanuel would do. And he tells them that even though they're going to go into exile, there is going to come a king that is going to restore them, that is going to bring them back, that is going to redeem them. This is the backdrop of the promise of Emmanuel. The nation of Israel 
although it's going to be sent into exile, will be redeemed. And Emmanuel, as we know from Luke, uh, means God with us. Jesus fulfilled this prophecy when he came. He not only came in the flesh as a little baby boy to grow and live and die, but also he brought us the Holy Spirit. When King Solomon dedicated the temple in Jerusalem, uh, this is long ago, it is recorded that during the dedication, the presence of God appears in the form of a cloud of glory. And this cloud of glory surrounds them and enters into the temple. And the presence of God dwells with his people. After the exile, the prophet Ezekiel has a vision. And he sees the cloud of glory leaving the temple. When the temple was destroyed by the Babylonians, God's presence left. And when the, presence of, and when the temple was rebuilt after the exile, there is no record of the presence of God ever coming back. There's no record of the, the cloud of glory filling the temple again. Why? Because the temple was not going to be God's dwelling place any longer. In this time of exile, there was silence from God. Complete silence for over 500 years. The voice of prophecy ended from the time of uh, Jeremiah to the time of John the Baptist. God's presence had left. When Jesus came, he dwelt with his people again. He was the Emmanuel. But not only that, he brought us something else. He brought us the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 3.16 tells us, Do you not know that you are God's people and that God's Spirit dwells within you? Every believer is now the temple of God and the presence of God dwells with His people. If you are in Christ, you have God's presence with you. Emmanuel is with you now. A couple of months ago, we studied through the book of Acts, uh, chapter 2, and we saw this picture happen. Remember, the cloud of glory went into the temple at Solomon's dedication and left the temple at uh, the exile. In Acts chapter 2, Jesus tells them to wait on the Holy Spirit, to wait for God to come. And the picture that we get at Pentecost is also a picture from Exodus. The people in Exodus, they followed God's cloud, the cloud of God's glory through the desert during the day, and they followed the cloud of God's glory as a pillar of fire at night. The pillar of fire shows up again at Pentecost over the heads of the disciples, representing that the, God's glory has come in to his new temple. The people of God 
throughout the exile, longed for his presence to return. They longed for the Emmanuel. They longed for the time when he would come and be with them again. That's the theme of this song. That's the tone of this song. While so many other songs around Christmas are are cheerful and happy and uplifting, this song is very low and very melancholy. You can almost hear the longing of of the people for their God. One thing that is uh, interesting about this song is that tone. The people of God, Jesus never promised that we would not suffer. That tone of suffering and that tone of mourning is good for us to to remember at Christmas. Because it's not always happy. Life is not always good and joyful. In preparation for this sermon, I read an article by John Piper, who apparently this is also one of his favorite songs as well. And he says this, It is not the same exuberant joy to the world the Lord has come, or the vigorous bounding hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. It is an excellent musical match to the mood of this song. Longing, aching, yearning, hoping. The Christian life oscillates between these two poles. The overflowing joy of the already redeemed and the tearful yearning of the not yet redeemed. Not that you will ever leave either one or the other in this life. We are, as 2 Corinthians 6.10 tells us, Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. There is suffering in this world. Do you yearn for the coming of the Messiah? Do you yearn for him to come again? Many of you guys who are are too young to have experienced much loss, but some of you guys have. Statistics tell us that 3.7 million people will die during this Advent season. Half a million of them are Christian. The great tragedy of this is that most of them have never heard the gospel. They do not know the comfort of the Holy Spirit. They do not know the comfort of being loved by Jesus. Even more people than that have experienced some loss during that year and are going through their first Christmas without a loved one. And until you go through it, you cannot imagine the pain and sorrow that people go through. In my own family, this happened several years ago with the passing of my brother-in-law. And I can tell you that it still hurts. And we still grieve today. And it is hardest during the holidays. There is pain and sorrow at Christmas amongst the joy and rejoicing of the coming of the Messiah. Jesus never promised that we would not suffer. He did promise that those who mourn will be comforted. He did promise that the Holy Spirit 
would be our helper and our comforter. But it's not just Christians who suffer. It's not just Christians who go through this pain and loss. Those people who do not have Christ do not know that comfort. There are many people around us who are going through pain and suffering and sorrow, both physically and emotionally. And all we have to do is look around us and talk to people to find out. I don't want you to waste this Advent season. As a church, we want to encourage you to experience this Advent fully. Experience fully the joy of Christ. And experience the the rejoicing that we have at the coming of the Messiah. Do not become like King Ahaz. Do not become like Ahaz who took the treasure of God that God had given to him and throw it away chasing safety and security that is temporary. Nothing in this world will last. Absolutely nothing. Not friendships, not relationships, not stuff. All of the things of this world is temporary. Things break. Friendships come and go. Relationships pass. But Jesus Christ remains. We often worship the creature over the creator. I'm not saying that we should all go and live as nomadic ascetics in the wilderness and put on sackcloth and have nothing but the Bible to read. Because certainly God has given us good things to enjoy. Certainly few people are are called to live that way, but most of us are not. As we go throughout our walks and our lives, we should enjoy the blessings that God has given us. We should also be mindful of others. We should also be careful to use those things for God's glory and not for our pleasure alone. The culture that we have surrounds us. It is besieging us just like that army besieged uh, Judah thousands of year, thousand years ago, 2,000 years ago. This is the point of the Advent conspiracy theory. Conspiracy theory? Sorry. Advent conspiracy series. <laughs> Sorry. There's so much conspiracy theories going on. It's just, it's, it's, in, the, it's in the language of the culture right now. Uh, the Advent Conspiracy series is designed to get us out of our box. It's designed to, to break us out of the idea of consumerism around Christmas. To break us out of the idea of focusing in on oneself. Don't give in to the culture's idea of Christmas. As we go throughout these messages, as we go throughout this season, I encourage you to listen to what is being said. 
to take what's being said to heart and to act on it. How do you think the church would look if Christians longed for the coming of Jesus, the coming of the Spirit, the presence of God? If we yearned for the presence of God in all things, certainly we, we when we watch the news or something, we, we want God's kingdom to come to make all things right. But we don't always feel that way. We don't always look that way. He has put us here as his ambassadors. He has put us here to be his image bearers on this earth. They tell you that the best sermons are those that you need to hear yourself. I can tell you that I need this. I get caught up in this consumerism so often. I get caught up in the Black Friday sales. I get caught up in all the deals going on and just, oh, I really want to buy that and it's like 30% off. Like I can just buy it now instead of later. But one thing that we can do is to look around us. As the, I saw in the video this morning, um, what can you do with the money that you don't spend on Christmas? What can you do with the money that you won't spend by indulging on all of the excess going on? Who can you help? Christians or not, build the kingdom of God. Use it to bless others. Go buy food and go down to St. Francis' house and feed the homeless for a day. Meet them, talk to them, hear their stories, pray with them. I encourage all of you guys to use the time that you have during this holiday season, during the vacations and the time off from school or work to focus on what God is calling you to do what God is calling us to do as his people. To focus on this yearning that we have for the Emmanuel, the yearning that we have for God's kingdom to come, for him to come and make all things right and make all things new. And to act towards doing that. When you notice people around you acting on the holiday and they notice you not acting on it, not acting with the culture, not buying everything that you can buy, not buying hundreds of pumpkin spice lattes, or what, what is the new one now? It's like pe peppermint something? Mm. When, when you don't act like the rest of the world, the rest of the world will notice. And when they do, boldly declare the glory of God and what he has done in your heart and what he has done in your life. Boldly declare the mercy he's had on your soul and the story of redemption that he has put you here to tell. In a moment, the band is going to come back up and we're going to have a time of response. Uh, every week we take communion here at Aletheia. And uh, while we take communion, before we do, we're going to play this song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. 
And while that song is playing, I encourage you to meditate on the message and meditate on the, the message of this song. Meditate on the idea of longing for the coming Messiah. Longing for the second coming of Christ. What does it mean to long for the presence of God in your life? What would it mean for the church to long for the presence of God to come into this world? Maybe it means looking around to find people who are in need. Maybe it means not focusing on yourself at Christmas. Maybe it means focusing on others more. Maybe it means focusing on others less and worrying about their actual condition versus whether or not they're happy. Maybe it means to mourn with those who mourn or rejoice with those who rejoice. Think about what this means in putting your faith in God instead of your stuff. What, is, what it means to put your trust in God fully and believe in the promises that he has given rather than using this world as comfort. Pray for us and close. Lord God, thank you so much for your word. God, thank you for your kingdom and the promise that you have to come and to redeem all things. Lord Jesus, I ask that you would put in us a longing to see your face, a longing to see your kingdom come on this earth. Lord Jesus, I ask these things in your name.